Hey, welcome back to Mike Cyber Radio. I am your host, and today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the uh, Chex Notes 32nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, written and directed by James Gunn. It is the epic conclusion of the epic trilogy, and I'm... I, I'm not even going to uh, mess around with, with hyperbole or preamble or or what have you. I liked this movie a lot. I really liked it, and, and it's really stuck with me in a way that I wasn't really predicting. And... Um, even not even in, in a way that the, the other movies stuck with me. I, I like you, uh, enjoyed that, that first guardians of the galaxy quite a lot. It, it was a pleasant surprise. It was something, um, different It had, had a, had a totally different tone. And I maintain that once, uh, Chris Pratt's Peter Quill character starts singing into that lizard, during the opening credits of uh, of a movie, you know you're in for something different and for something kind of special. And that's what this movie kind of is to me, is, uh, is something that's kind of special. I have now seen it twice. In fact, I held off uh, talking about the movie here for um, a couple days because I, uh, my uh, uh, lucky wanted to see it. And I wanted to see it again, so we went this last weekend, and I discovered on second viewing that it actually um, uh, affected me more. It hit me more deeply and more profoundly, um, which which I, I I was not anticipating. I I, I was actually kind of anticipating diminishing returns and then i i was i was really su- quite surprised that it resonated with me as deeply the second time through um i i don't i don't think i cried but i came really really close the second time through not so much the the first time through i i think Knowing how the story unfolds, uh, revisiting it um, makes it hit um, a lot harder. Um, so this uh, th- this first portion is going to be uh, relative, well, not relatively, but but uh, uh, spoiler th- spoiler free, and then I'll, I'll I'll talk later in the episode. But I'll make sure that there's like a a, a specific demarcation between the the vague non spoiler portion, and uh, uh, we'll see how much of the wiki I end up <laughs> reading. Um, but I up top, as I said, it's. Um, it's a satisfying end to the trilogy, and I feel like unlike most contemporary uh, Marvel series within the overall MCU, this one feels the most like it's a uh, it's a trilogy that you can actually watch. Like, um, for example, them Captain America movies. Uh, you can't 
you can't watch them as as a series of movies. Like like let's say I'm gonna I'm gonna throw down for the Captain America movies. Watch a Captain America marathon. It doesn't make any damn sense, um, because both uh, the Winter Soldier and Civil War are just episodes in the larger uh, Avengers Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, storyline, especially Civil War. Civil War is barely a Captain America movie. Um, that that just happened to be the 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 title that they threw on it, but it has 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 very little to do with uh, well, I mean, it does have a lot to do with Captain America and Steve Rogers, but it but it's more about his uh, philosophical opposition with Iron Man than it is about being a being a Captain America um, uh, story. But I I digress. I'm I'm getting lost in the woods. You 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 look at them Thor movies, right? You know, and like especially like that Ragnarok and that Love and Thunder. It's like, yeah, I mean that Ragnarok is is a terrific movie. That 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 Love and Thunder is is a turd. I've really soured on it. Um, I I wasn't especially um high on it at the time. Um, uh, you heard my pretty lukewarm uh review several months ago. Um, the Marvel Universe has been kind of like in a um, kind of in a weird phase. Um, this last run of movies with with some high points and some low low points, like um the parts that I liked about Wakanda Forever, I really liked. Uh, the the parts that I liked about uh Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I I really liked. I I appreciated that it was a Sam Raimi movie when it got to be a Sam Raimi movie, but then like the other more generic Marvel stuff was, uh, was kind of suffocating. Um, and that, and that kind of brings me to, uh, back to guardians. This, unlike any other series within the Marvel universe feels the not self-contained that that's not accurate, but feels the most, uh, singular vision like you could tell it's James Gunn's sensibilities from movie one through um, movie three. And um, as I said, I, I feel like these series of movies actually works as an actual trilogy. Um, there, there will be parts that I'll talk about um, a little later where my logic kind of falls apart a little bit, but I think thematically um, it, it mostly works, uh, certainly uh, more than others. Now, I did mention uh, several other uh, movies in the recent phase of, uh, of the Marvel MCU, um, and I feel like this is a return to form. Uh, this made me feel like the way I did back when the Marvel Cinematic Universe was relatively new, maybe not when it was brand new, but, you know, kind of kind of post Avengers, you know, maybe like phase two where it's like, you know, it's really kind of getting its feet under it. And, you know, we're, we're we're doing experimental movies. We're doing wacky movies. We're doing stuff that that sometimes works. We're doing stuff that sometimes doesn't work. And it it, it feels it feels kind of like that same sensibility as opposed to something like Quantumania that just kind of feels like the latest episode, you know, flat, lifeless, um, nothing to really 
justify its own existence. Uh, I found this movie to be um, incredibly heartfelt. It's it's funny at times, though not as funny as as um, the other ones. Uh, certainly not the first one. Um, but there there there's something intangible about the the this movie that that makes it a little more special and i can't help but but um do the compare and contrast between this and say like a quantum mania or 11 thunder i think after the one two punch punch of those two turds i was kind of starting to feel that same cape fatigue that folks have been feeling for well over a year maybe even longer um but I I'm the guy that will ride out my my favorite series to the end. And and these these Marvel movies kind of feel like the same thing. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go, you know, next week I've got uh, a fast 10 your seat belts where, you know, the 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 10th Fast and Furious movie is 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 a thing I'm going to be watching because I kind of like those movies that that next one looks pretty awful. And I, I don't know what's going on with with Jason Momoa's face it's like he he ate johnny depp or something i I don't i don't specifically understand but um but anyway i i i have been um increasingly and gradually becoming lukewarm on the marvel um mcu um this one really put me right back to it and I don't know. It, it just it, it just felt like this one had something to say about these characters and their their struggles and their growth. Um, I again, it just, it just kind of feels like a complete storyline when 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 you um, stitch it all together. Um, I, I thought the performances were terrific. Um, I think all of the primary cast members are at the very best they have been in these roles. And it the movie moves at a clip to where it it knows this is the last movie. And it feels like a victory lap of sorts where it's like, you know, hey, we're we're gonna guard the galaxy one last time. So it it feels like nothing is left on the field, and um and again, everybody is just bring bringing their A plus game. And I didn't, uh, I I wasn't disappointed by any of uh, the performances, and and there were a lot that really kind of got my attention in a way that that hadn't previously. Uh, the, the action sequences are pretty cool. Um, some, some pretty neat and inventive stuff. And most importantly, there, there is a heartfelt sweetness to this movie and a sincerity that I really appreciated. Um, and, uh, Go home and hug your animals. <laughs> Let me just put it there. I'll, I'll put it there, um, just to kind of put a put a pin in it for, uh, for now. But like I, okay. So I, as I said, I I've seen this movie twice. I saw 
a uh, press screening the oh, Wednesday, Wednesday before it came out um, at the Boeing IMAX theater at the Pacific Science Center, the largest movie theater screen in Washington State here. And um, it was an incredibly um, immersive experience. And but it's at nighttime, like it started at like uh, uh, just after seven. And it this it, it it's it's a long movie. Um, I don't I don't remember what the runtime is. Um, hundred and fifty minutes. So that's oh, so that that that's uh two and a half hours flat. Okay, so um, so so it's it, it's a little long. Um, so I got home late, and. I, um, I, I, I got home. Uh, we have two cats, uh, Mr. Tater, who, who is a, who is a tank of a kitty. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, what, 11 now? My gosh. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a big boy. He's, he's a big tabby. And, um, and we have Missy, who's a, um, smaller, younger, uh, tuxedo, uh, uh, kitty, with uh with black fur that that feels like velvet and um they they both um are waiting for me when when I when I get home from the movie uh lucky had long since gone to bed and I just sat there in the entryway of my home and just sat there on the floor and just petted my cats for what felt like forever um so th- th- this is a movie that will um rekindle your love for your pets and uh and uh um ho- hopefully make you feel good about um animals in in general um but i you know it, it's interesting with the with these marvel movies how it is a larger story and you always got to find ways to up the stakes and you got to find ways to put in easter eggs and and connect things and 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 escalate the story but the thing that i appreciated about guardians of the galaxy volume 3 is how delightfully untethered it is from the overall uh mcu storyline like you know, we're not chasing infinity stones. We're not even worried about the overall threat of Kang and, and who knows how, how that's going to go. Um, I, I've, I, I've heard some, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to litigate here the, uh, legal, uh, entanglements that, uh, Jonathan majors, the actor who plays, Kang the Conqueror and and all of his variants um but but there's there's a potential situation where that role might get recast or the entire trajectory of the Marvel universe might get rewritten I I don't really know how that's going to go but I I w- I was talking to some some uh, uh friends and they just popped off and it's like well man I I hope uh you know, Jonathan Majors gets his legal stuff squared away so that, you know, they can get going on those movies. And I thought that the, that was really kind of like a weird, crass, reductive uh, take. Um, obviously, I want the best for people. And and I, I'm not taking a side either way uh, with regards to the um, allegations against him. 
But it is interesting that us as a society and a fandom that are so uh, craving of the content that we we look at uh, domestic abuse allegations as like a you know as like a nuisance, an obstacle to be overcome, and um, that that's obviously a, an, an incredibly cynical thing to say, but that that's. I, I feel like fans are becoming um, increasingly like that. And especially now in a situation where we're very much in the throes of a writer strike that I don't know is going to end anytime soon. We're probably going to get stuff like Heroes Season 2 or Friday Night Light Season 2 or Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I, I think our content is really going to take a creative hit because of this writer strike. And it's interesting. I feel differently today than I did back in, uh, what was that, 2007, 2008. Now I'm just like, good. You know what? Because this is what you ingrates deserve um, is, is the hit and quality. And I, I apologize. I don't, I don't even know where that came from. That, that just, that just kind of like came from within me. But I'm, you know, I... Um, I, I don't, I don't have friends in the, the writer's union, but I do have a lot of friends that are writers. So, um, and, and obviously I'm, I'm around creative people. So I, I'm, I'm going to take the side of the creative people as opposed to the, uh, mega corporations that are just about, uh, putting meat in the grinder to make hamburger, uh, for, for us to watch. But, um. But I digress. Let let me set that off to the side, uh, because uh, you know we're having fun here talking about uh, talking about what is a, a really fun movie um, that uh, that I enjoyed quite a lot. So I don't I don't want to necessarily make it a, a a sour experience. But my point being is that I like that this movie is so um, uh, not not exactly self contained. That's the wrong thing to say, but it is. It is focused singularly on these characters and the villain is um, expressly interested in these characters and there are stakes and there are high stakes and the stakes are uh, deeply personal uh, for the characters. So, so that intimacy was something that I really appreciated and I think kind of gets lost in some of these latter, more episodic uh, installments in the overall MCU. Quantumania just felt like it was literally a stepping stone. Like, hey, man, we, we need to establish this Kang guy. Oh, whoops, he got he got his ass beat by Ant-Man. Um, so who could possibly care? I still think that that movie would have been... Um, way more daring and exciting. I, I, I thought Ant Man was going to take the pass. Um, how, um, electrifying and provocative and exciting would it have been if your true goal is to establish the threat of Kang the Conqueror? Is that he kills Ant Man? Ant Man dies in his own movie. Um, that, that, that would have been something that, that would have been, 
very interesting and it would have been a down note and and maybe it re- maybe it reminds me of a, a of another movie that that has a part 3 um uh with a uh, with an ending like that but um anyway Guardians of the Galaxy volume 3 um i i like that it's it's not connected to whatever the larger MCU storyline is um I'd, I'd, to me, the the uh, uh, contemporary Marvel Universe uh, MCU feels like those Star Wars sequels, and it, it it feels like it has great determination but no destination, and um, so anyway, uh, uh, Guardians Volume Three th- seems much more concerned with its characters and and putting a bow on that corner of of the universe rather than troubling itself with the larger universe if, if that makes a lick of sense um so you know the, the the hallmarks of what you consider to be a guardians of the galaxy movie is you know it's it's um it's fun it's light on its feet but the star of the movie is the soundtrack and for good or bad, the legacy of the Guardians of the Galaxy is in, ingraining uh, needle drops into the movie to the point where, now, I didn't care for the second one very much, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, not my favorite. And I felt my my problem with that movie is that it was a little too high on its own supply. I think the entire production, including writer-director James Gunn, maybe just got... Um, I, the only analogy I could say is high on their own supply because um, one of the things that, that frustrated me about Volume 2 is that it took the soundtrack aspect and pushed it that much further to the point where there are literal plot beats and developments that are intertwined with song lyrics. And I thought that that was perhaps going a little too far. I mean, it's one thing to kind of pair a soundtrack with a scene um, of which these, these movies are kind of known for, but when you're, you're having characters say lyrics to one another and explaining how that ties into the plot. Um, I, I found that um, a little too uh, frustrating and self-indulgent for my taste. I'm glad to say that there is a softer touch in this one. And I don't know if how, how much, this movie is affected. The final movie of uh, what is now Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I don't know how much of that is affected by the uh, career trajectory that James Gunn ended up taking. Because keep in mind, this is a movie that was somewhat rescued from cancellation. Now, the movie wasn't canceled, but... Um, there, there was a time where James Gunn was not going to be the writer director of this movie. Um, you might remember a handful of years ago 
where uh, some of his more provocative tweets um, uh, resurfaced, which incidentally, um, and again, not not to not to uh, go deeper into a tangent, but I happen to be recording this after having uh, been a citizen of Twitter.com over the last weekend when um, finally, after half a year, um, conservative media finally discovered that there's a transformer that uses they, them pronouns and identifies as non-binary. So that has been nothing but a delight um, just to just to watch these these conservative assholes just lose their minds over pronouns and um it, 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 if you've seen any of my uh tweets i um i i have not been um i i i have not been shy about expressing my disdain for uh for for the discourse that that's um uh that's been happening i've found myself uh, very, very frustrated. So, so it, it it's kind of like a cancel cancel culture type of thing, where where these old tweets of James Gunn's were uh, were dug up, and he says some pretty heinous shit. And um, and but context is important, not necessarily context for the tweets, but like there was, I mean, the guy's a trauma guy, and. You know, in in trauma, what 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 their mission is, is to be, you know, provocative. So he's he's being a provocateur Um, for the 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 sake of this discussion. I don't know if it matters if uh, if the tweets go too far or not. Um, I think they do. But I don't think that um, tweets from what was then what five, seven years prior um, should have any relevance of him being thrown off a, a three quell to uh, two movies that have been al- already wildly successful for the Walt Disney corporation. But basically the, the loose chronology is the, these tweets resurface um, Disney buckled, fired him from the project um, but didn't necessarily say that the project wasn't going to happen until the entire cast stepped in, um, led by Dave Batista, um, to where it's just like, yeah, man, if you don't bring James Gunn back, we're, uh, we're, we're not going to do the movie. And I was having a discussion with a, with a coworker recently where it's like, you know, th- that's a little footnote in the story of, this movie Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 that that kind of gets a little bit forgotten about. We we kind of forget that this movie either almost didn't happen or would have been violently different. Um you know, having having watched that Quantum Mania, um what do you do? You just bring in like a like a hired hand like a Peyton Reed or something like that or maybe a um uh who who's the guy that they got to uh, d- direct uh, Fast 10 um, after, um, let me see now. Oh, Lu- Lewis. Lewis? Oh, I don't remember if it's Lewis or Louis. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the uh, transporter guy, uh, Louis uh, uh, Leterrier. Um, anyway, that, that guy, that, I, I think he directed Incredible Hulk also. 
Uh, but anyway, just just an example of just like random ass hired hands um, that have, you know, really not a whole lot of unique uh, artistic voice. Um, I'm doing that thing. I, 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 I think I'm a little extra keyed up because I just, uh, um, while I recorded existential dreadcast, of um, a, a while ago, um, I, I editing it tonight, uh, right before I, um, uh, recorded this is, is maybe spilling over. So, uh, maybe that wasn't the wisest move on my part. Um, uh, my apologies. I, I'm, um, um, a little more keyed up than, <laughs> than I would have been. Uh, but anyway, so, but in, in the time after Disney cuts this dude, um, DC and Warner brothers picks him up. It's like, well, fine. If, uh, if, you know, Disney doesn't want you, well, we, we, we like what you're putting down and you get the suicide squad, you get peacemaker and it's, um, and those are successful projects with, James Gunn's very R-rated sensibility. It's kind of James Gunn unleashed. Um, and somewhere along the way, um, prior to that, uh, Disney Marvel is like, well, hey, uh, we're listening to the cast here. Sure, we'd like to bring you back. Um, but yeah, no, sorry. I got to make these DC movies first. He comes back, uh, does Guardians, and now... Um, he's off being the, the, uh, spearhead for the, whatever the new DC universe is going to be, uh, which, uh, which is potentially very interesting, but it's also fascinating to see like this whiplash of back and forth and back and forth. Um, it reminds me, you know, like I've, I've said before, I'm, I'm a comic book fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of you know, these types of movies. And I don't, I've never understood the partisanness. I'm a Marvel. I'm a DC. I I can understand being uh, drawn to uh, certain characters, certain situations. Um, But yeah, being so partisan about, well, I'm exclusively a Marvel guy, or I'm exclusively a DC guy, or I'm exclusively a, you know, uh, image independent, uh, IDW kind of guy or something very odd. Um, I think when I started on this path, I was talking about the movie soundtrack, but I definitely lost the thread. Um, the soundtrack for this movie for volume three is certainly the most eclectic of the three movies. And, my thoughts on it have changed um, several times. Um, when I first saw it at the press screening, in fact, I, I'm looking at my my notes for that evening after I got home and got done loving the kitties. Um, I, I wrote down the soundtrack was probably the weakest of the three movies. And... Seeing it the second time, I don't believe that. And in fact, there there are several um, songs and needle drops from the movie that have stuck with me and really stuck with me in a way that has in all three movies. James Gunn has a terrific ear and he's got a way of dusting off songs that you know, you know when you know it, 
but it's not on the tip of your tongue. It's not at the top of your ear. It's not not front of mind for you. But when you hear it, it's like, oh, that's a banger. Um, so yeah, that there's, I mean, the first two movies are are filled with that, and and this movie has um its fair share as well. Um, a, a couple in particular, uh, both of which you're you're gonna um you're gonna hear um uh, during this podcast at the at the beginning and the end but um it's it's also i don't think weakest was the correct word when i when i wrote that down after after i first watched the movie um but um certainly um unusual i think would be a fair word because um this isn't particularly a spoiler, but in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, Star-Lord Peter Quill, his signature Walkman, is destroyed. And he um, doesn't have the ability to play his um, awesome mix. Um, you know, the, the mixtapes that, uh, that his mom made for him. At the end of that movie... Um, Rocket finds a Zune, uh, full of all kinds of songs from, um, various eras, you know, um, uh, you know, seventies through two thousands, uh, maybe earlier than seventies, but I, I, we don't, we don't get any needle drops that far back. Um, do, do get the, the requisite, uh, seventies tunes, but, um, but it, it spans the decades uh, beyond the seventies into the eighties, some nineties and, uh, and even into the two thousands, which, um, is, is a little different. Um, in fact, when I was talking to lucky after we watched the movie, uh, this last weekend, so it'd be my second time, her first time, um, her comment on the soundtrack was that she didn't think it blended as well. And uh, I, I think she's right in a, um, in a lot of ways in that the soundtracks for the previous two movies were um, a little more cohesive in theme, at least by general era. I think with the uh, decision to have the um songs from so many different eras it kind of creates a disjointed uh texture to it um so for me i i've kind of gone up and down with it it's like i first i thought it was the weakest but then like when it was really sticking with me days later i was like oh i don't know there's it, it's pretty solid and then watching it the second time i'm like oh man these 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 needle drops hit hard um, like, like there's, there's a deep cuts faith no more track in here at a particularly, um, pivotal reveal that, um, I, I thought, I thought was just a chef's kiss, a really, really cool, a really cool weaponized use of, um, songs here. Uh, but I also get Lucky's point that, that it doesn't, it doesn't quite have that same cohesiveness. So like you could, you know, so I have both. Um, um, awesome mix volume one and awesome mix volume two, the soundtrack albums 
for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and Volume 2, respectively. I have those on cassette. Um, they actually did a run of cassettes, and I, I hope they do a run of tapes for Volume 3 um, because uh, popping them into my car's tape deck um, and listening to them as, like, one consistent thing it it does have a flow to it, and I don't know if I've listened to the the soundtrack to Volume Three here um, as one complete work, um, but I I wonder if it would have that same uh, cohesion. Um, I I had mentioned the um, special effects, and it's interesting with these contemporary movies and uh, there's so many of them and they come out so fast. Like it used to be like you would have like these giant tentpole movies and they had ironically enough, very few special effect shots or relatively few special effect shots. Now the expectation has gone to not just movies, but also TV shows as well. Kind of, um, demanding that same uh, height of quality. And I think what's happening because there is so much content and so much being put out there that the special effects companies can't keep up with demand. And I think that's also causing quality to kind of dip. And there, there are some spots in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 where, where the CG does look kind of ropey but not um not egregiously like like there's some shots in endgame that just just do not hold up um this i i i think is 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 pretty solid um i also think that this movie is kind of i don't know it has has a lot of special effects throughout but it doesn't have the breakneck pace that a lot of these other movies do. And there isn't like a constant string of like action set piece, action set piece, action set piece. There, there is certainly no shortage of action, but it's, uh, it, it feels, um, more sparingly than, than other, uh, types of these movies. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that there are huge stakes and this, um, this movie goes hard with uh, with some of the language and really pushes the boundaries of the PG-13 rating. And I feel that this kind of dips into uh, what I could only refer to as Transformers logic. And what I mean by that is, is you look at the live action Transformers movies with, with uh, Chock Full of Bayhem, and these robot characters are seen, um, you know, being scenes of 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 brutal violence. Um, that you know that there's there's just some like vicious. Uh, dismemberings and and beheadings and and lots of fluids and all all kinds of like icky gross stuff that 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 kind of makes me um, feel um, a little uncomfortable and this movie has some of that as well and I think what it does is it 
couched in, well, these characters aren't exactly human. Um, and I think because of that, it, it kind of um, uses that Transformers logic to get um, a- away with a little more than um, than than perhaps it has in the other movies. <laughs> um, um, uh, trying to trying to stay vague there, um, but the the thing, who is this movie for? You know, we we get some forty minutes into the discussion, and and I I, I should have led with that. Who is this movie for? Is this movie for eight year olds? No, absolutely not. I think it is too intense and I think it is uh, the themes are too mature um, for an eight year old. This is a PG-13 movie in the truest sense of it. This is um, kind of some Temple of Doom level stuff. Um, I I recently saw some discourse on Twitter talking about PG-13 movies kind of through the the kaleidoscope of of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And it's like um, a common misconception is that Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Doom is the first PG-13 rated movie. And it's not. It's the movie that inspired uh, the PG-13 rating. It was uh, it was actually Red Dawn that that was that was the first movie to be labeled as uh PG 13. Um, but, um, the intensity in guardians three reminds me of, of temple of doom, just kind of like, you know, tonally. Um, but who is this movie for? Is it for eight year olds? No, who it is for is for people who were eight years old back in 2014 when the first guardians of the galaxy movie came out, who were um, seven, eight years old when Peter Quill, star Lord, Chris Pratt started singing into that lizard. This is the movie for them because it's the movie that um, the, the story and the characters um, grows with the audience. The characters are in very different places than they were in that first movie. And I think the sensibilities of the movie grow with the audience. So you can, you can push things a little further, I think, um, with regards to the violence, the, the language, the intensity, the mature themes um, this, uh, this movie has the first F-bomb dropped in a Marvel MCU movie, and it is in the most delightfully innocuous way. And I, um, it, it wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't salacious. It's, it's, it's thrown out in a way that it's, it, 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 it's just the perfect ex- expression of it. The, the only movie I can think of that that more perfectly encapsulated the the weaponization of your of your one F-bomb is in X-Men First Class when they run into Wolverine uh, Logan um and 
I feel like this is the movie that's appropriate to do it with these characters, these situations, and the growth that this franchise has earned. Um, I, I totally get that they they should get it. Um, a couple other things. I you know be, before I get into like some serious hard spoilers, and I, I'm you know I, I'm going to share some Easter eggs and talk about some um, other stuff, but. I think in my advanced age, I'm getting old and soft. Uh, the movie ends on a note that I was not expecting. And I've heard folks being disappointed uh, by by the ending. Um, I was not. I, th- I thought, uh, in fact, I, I'm, I'm going to have lots of... Uh, um, Further thoughts on the on the ending that that I'll I'll talk about in just a minute when I, when I um I jump into spoilers, um, but I I w- I was very satisfied I I was, um again seeing the trajectory that these characters have been on, as they've grown and learned and developed and grown and I said grown twice <laughs> um but um. No, I I think I think it does I think it does everybody uh proper justice and um and again puts puts a a satisfying bow on a satisfying uh trilogy. Um I will also let you know before we get into spoilers. Um that way if you need to um uh punch out uh you have the opportunity to do so I just want to arm you with all of the information that you need. There are two post-credit scene, and um, I will also say, however, that they are scenes that don't really move the MCU narrative along. They're just nice, sweet buttons on a nice, sweet movie. Um, so yeah, so there, there is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, um, the non-spoiler, uh, section. I really like the movie. Um, I, I'm not going to see it again in theaters, um, before it ends its run because that, that theatrical window between, uh, theatrical and, uh, streaming Disney Plus is getting shorter and shorter, so it's probably going to be on the plus before I notice uh, before I know it. And then I'm going to watch it there um, a couple more times. I, I, I will probably go back to this one more than I do the first one. And I've seen that first one a lot. There's very few of these Marvel movies that I've seen more than once. A, a lot of them are one and done for me. It's like I, I've, I've seen Infinity War twice. I think I've seen Endgame twice. Um, you know, I've, I've seen winter soldier a few times, um, but, but guardians of the galaxy volume one, that that's the one that, um, that lucky and I have gone back to more than a few times. Um, so yeah, it's just, um, very interesting. So anyway, I, I was, I was thinking there, there was supposed to be like a, like a button on that. Um, but there really kind of isn't. So, okay. So, um, I, I next up, I'm going to talk about, uh, some Easter eggs and some other, um, uh, things that I couldn't really get into without, uh, being specifically spoilerific. So if this is your jumping off point, 
I will um, uh, see you uh, the next time. And then uh, coming up here, I should probably play some kind of, uh, I don't know, sound effect or something to indicate that we are moving into the spoiler section. But this is your uh, last fair and final warning. We are going to get into spoilers in five, four, three, two, one. I'm going to tell you something. I'm Star-Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl. Fell in love. That girl died. But then she came back. Came back a total dick. Oh, please. He left out some important information, but... That is the gist of it. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. you all to know that I'm grateful to fight beside my friends. Incinerate them. <laughs> we were always searching for a family until we found each other. Are you ready for one last ride? fly away together into the forever and beautiful sky. Whoever it was that you were in love with, it sounds more like her. Her? Do not bring me into this. <gasps> Knock it off! What? I never noticed how black your eyes were. They were replaced by my father as a method of torture. He, he picked a pretty set. I, I, I guess the the biggest thing to, because um, I, I just, I, you know, I'm probably working backwards here, but to talk about the ending, to revisit the ending, um, everybody lives. And... It reminds me of the ending of Star Trek Picard and um, um, spoilers for the end of uh, um, Star Trek Picard. So maybe uh, jump ahead uh, 30 seconds. I think on your on your um, on your podcatcher player, you should have like a jump ahead uh, 30. So go ahead and hit that now. OK, good. I, I think we're OK. Um, Everybody lives in that as well. And um, I think I'm getting old and soft. And I, I, I was glad that the Star Trekkers got to live. I, and I'm glad that the Guardians of the Galaxy got to live. Um, we, uh, when, when I saw the movie um, at the press screening, um, the guy I was with had his son there and the son was disappointed. Literally says they didn't even kill anybody. 
Um, and for me, I just, I just don't have that bloodlust anymore. <clears throat> and, um, it's not, it's not the same as, as that Star Trek thing, but there, um, there, there is a, a sweet moment, um, between the, um, between the guardians before they go their separate ways and they do go their separate ways. Um, which also feels again, very satisfying and very true, um, uh, to the characters there. Um, so let me, uh, let me, I, I guess roll back to the beginning of, uh, some of my notes. There were, there was a couple of things I wanted to loop back around to, um, in, uh, in full, uh, spoilers discussion. One, I, I wanted to, uh, refer to, uh, go back to the soundtrack and, the thing that is revealed in over the course of this movie is that you think that the Guardians of the Galaxy is the story of Peter Quill, the Star-Lord, the legendary Star-Lord. And this movie really cements that it just really isn't. It's um, in fact, there's there's literally a line of dialogue that says it, it's been it's been your story the whole time. You just didn't know it. And it's it is the, the, the story of Rocket. It's it's the story of Rocket Raccoon. And um, the thing with the music and I clocked this a little more the second time um, knowing how it goes through. Um, the first two movies are about Peter's playlist, you know, again, the awesome mix volume one and two, uh, cassettes that, that his, um, uh, mom made for him, or maybe it's all awesome mix volume one. I, I don't, I don't remember. I can't, it doesn't matter. Point being after rocket finds the zoom and Guardians of the galaxy volume two and gives it, gives it to Peter they have a little bit of a moment where where they're talking about the different types of music that is on there and obviously it's a it's a huge discovery for uh quill but what you also discover is that um rocket has quite an affection for the music on the zune as well and when i said earlier that the playlist is a little more eclectic, a little more erratic. It's because it's Rocket's play music. This is Rocket's music and not so much Peter Quill's. And I think that's the difference. This this is Rocket's movie. And and I think the music and the music choices um, reflect that. So looking back on that through that kaleidoscope, that kind of helps crystallize that... Um, uh, more than than I realized the the first time through. In fact, Rocket more than even even more than Quill. I think because um, because uh, Quill does get one really good um, a bit of of earphones work here when uh, when they do the the Beastie Boys uh, needle drop, which which I'm going to talk about in just a minute because it kicks off one of one of my favorite scenes in the movie, but. Um, Rocket is shown at least three different times during the movie, um, being deeply moved 
by the by the music and even singing along with it. Um, like you you start off with the acoustic, the haunting acoustic version of uh, of Creep by Radiohead, and he you you could see a, a morose Bradley Cooper um, singing along with it, and then um, th- th- there's a couple other instances as well, and then um, uh, being being um, moved and affected by by the song that they play um, at, at the end. Um, well, I'll come back to those in, in, in a minute. Um, I, I've gone this long talking for almost an hour and I have not talked about the elephant in the room, both, uh, both figuratively and literally. And I have not talked about anything about the, the, uh, themes of, um, animal cruelty and animal abuse. And it's a it's a a very interesting topic to unpack because um, end of the day, these are computer generated creatures. There's no real animals in this movie. Everybody is is a uh, a computer generated uh, creature and you feel for them deeply and um but it's it's a very mixed thing because like it's very odd because like uh PETA the the people for ethical treatment of animals have actually been very complimentary of this movie and its um depiction of the evils of animal cruelty which is Fine and good, but despite being a vegetarian, I don't think that James Gunn was specifically uh, making his choices for the the betterment of animals. Like you know, the, there uh, several animals are 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 depicted to have horrifying things done to them. Um. And and I think maybe in that narrative that kind of gets uh, uh, forgotten about a little bit. But um, oh, I'll talk about it here because like I, I think initially I was going to go through the cast and and um, shout out some performances. But um, but since I'm here, I will I will talk about uh, Rocket's friends and we the so the entire narrative of it being shown through flashbacks, uh, Rocket's story. Basically, Rocket is injured very early on in the movie and is comatose uh, for the majority of the movie. In fact, that that's kind of what spurs on the events of the movie. You know, we have we have to go to the Orgo Corp and get get the code to to turn off the um, the kill lock the 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 kill switch quick kill switch yeah go go uh go pick up the kill lock by Livio Ramadelli by the way if you if you like his dark and moody transformer stuff uh you'll you'll dig kill lock it rules um but anyway um um so while rocket is incapacitated he drifts into flashback of we learn his origins and the the torture he experienced at the hands of 
the high evolutionary um, played by Chikudi Uwuji, um, who is terrific in this role. Um, one of the criticisms has been that, you know, he's kind of like a low stakes villain type of thing. And I completely disagree with that because I feel that this um, this character is the perfect foil for for these guardians, you know, for for this intensely intensely personal um uh thing with Rocket. You know, you you learn Rocket's origin and you learn that it was at, at the hands of this guy making it personal for all of them. And um and I would much rather that than some um literal uh you know mustache twirling monocle adjusting um Thanos type villain that has like aspirations for like, you know, global conquest. In fact, there, there, there's a point where the high evolutionary says, um, he's like, I, I'm not trying to conquer the universe. I'm, I'm just trying to make a perfect society. And that singular vision, um, you know, kind of makes him terrifying. His, his insanity makes him terrifying more so than than somebody that that's on a hunt for infinity gems um but um in in rocket's flashback you learn his story and you learn about his uh friends um including um uh Lila the otter uh uh voiced by uh Linda Cardellini uh, who also is um, Hawkeye's wife in the um, in, in the other movies and other shows? Um, it, it's interesting to to tangent for a sec that this this movie in particular is the Justice League um, or the the Avengers of the James Gunn players. Like there's so many uh, people that that have worked with. Um, uh, with James Gunn, um, Linda Cardellini was also uh, Velma in the live-action uh, Scooby-Doo movies uh, written by James Gunn. Um, so, um, so yeah, so there's there's a handful of different reunions there, but um, but her character in particular, who is meant to be a companion of sorts uh, for Rocket, she's you know, uh, uh, kind and gentle and tender with him when he's, um, uh, experimented on by the, by the, um, high evolutionary and they're, and they're shown to have a, um, a, a bond and a, um, friendship. Um, they, um, are also, uh, joined by the, um, by their other friends, their fellow test subjects, um, a walrus named Teefs and a rabbit uh, named Floor. And um, not knowing, how do I want to put it? The, um, the, the second time through, the flashback stuff with, um, with Rocket and Lila and Teefs and Floor, um, hit harder than the first time through because, like, first time through, you're just watching the story develop, but seeing it a second time and knowing what happens to these characters and what their fate is, and you know 
that they the that a terrible fate is is coming for them because they ain't in any of the other movies. So you know this is the only time you're going to um uh see these characters. Um but even having that little bit of movie knowledge doesn't necessarily um uh soften the blow uh the first time through but the second time through like i said knowing exactly what's going to happen anytime um rocket drifted back into the flashback i kind of winced a little bit because it just amplified that that feeling of dread and i had forgotten that there were so many flashbacks that that you know we spend so much time you know going in and out um and like there there's a time where they're they're shown being very happy and like playing tag and laughing and and um it's like oh you guys don't even know what's going to happen to you oh um all of that stuff um really resonates with me and really um uh touches my heart and i think this is what is kind of the uh, I don't I don't know dividing line I su- I suppose would be the way to say um the critics of the movie uh the folks that don't like it say that the all of the animal stuff is manipulative and that it's cheap and um and, and, and I suppose from a certain point of view that that may be right. I, I couldn't objectively say one way or the other. Um, uh, lucky when when uh, my wife was talking about um, how she felt about the movie, uh, she straight up said she didn't like having uh, the heartstrings pulled. And, um, and and I and I can hear that as well. Um I don't know if I can articulate why it affects me so deeply or why it let why I let it affect me so deeply, but I did. I I I let it in and when the that um um when their end comes, it's um I mean like uh, my throat was clenched, I could feel my eyes watering up and I swear I was going to cry and 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 if that was going to happen, I would have let it happen. So I wasn't like, you know, sucking it back or like stifling or or whatever, because I, I had a feeling based on how I was feeling earlier in my second viewing. It's like, oh, that this is really affecting me. If the, if this happens, I'm I'm just I'm just going to let it. And, it and it didn't. My my eyes just got really glassy and really watery. But um, but no tears. Um, and again, I. I I shed no tears when uh when the Wolverine died. So um so so this seems to be uh uh pretty consistent there. Um but it it is it is heart-wrenching and it's heartbreaking. And um it's it, it's a very intense scene. Um and and there and there was a a component of it that I had forgotten because I was too busy fixating on the um uh death of Lila um that I 
when 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 Rocket just lets out his um, emotional outburst and just screams and screams and screams that I missed the bit there where um where where Floor is is pleading with Rocket for the three of them to just leave. You know, um, you know, uh, 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 Rocket Teeps and Floor uh, Fly Now or something like that. I forget, I forget what she says, uh, but but she says it over and over and over, and it is upsetting. And um, uh, the whole sequence where um, Rocket realizes he can wield a gun and he, you know, he picks up a gun for the first time and and um and and shoots all these guards um only to find out that that his his friends have been killed in the crossfire it's 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 um again incredibly upsetting um but i also felt it was very effective storytelling so like um i guess in a sense to the criticism that it's manipulative i would say well Yes. And not just because, oh, damn it. I I should have said this like an hour ago when I was uh, talking more non-spoiler stuff. But the thing that I appreciate about this movie, and I didn't tell this to the nice lady with the clipboard, but uh, but I, I did tell my friends at work. Um, after, after we got out of the, out of the screening and I said, you know, this is the first movie like this in a good long time that actually made me feel something. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I've, you know, I, I was actually just thinking about this because like, I, I have to be careful with the hyperbole. You know, it's like, well, I, I haven't felt anything uh, like this since since the multiverse of madness or something like that. Um, yeah, that was last year. That wasn't all that long ago. Now, I didn't have a the, the deep emotional connection with that movie that I did with this movie. But I remember feeling something, you know, I like my emotions were stirred. Um, by how excited I was about about that multiverse of madness, it just it just it really worked for me. I I um I dug it. Um, but anyway, that this the this uh this worked on me for for um a uh, number of number of different levels. And the the thing, sorry, I'm just trying to get my feet back under me. Um, the movie is incredibly cliched. And there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of various tropes. Like we go to animal heaven at one point and there, there's some stuff that could be construed as silly or cheesy or ridiculous. Like, like, you know, at, at the very end, you know, uh, uh, rocket's life is saved but it seems like all is lost. So Quill has to kind of give like the chest compressions and stuff, um, which, you know, when you step back w- with a cynical eye, you could probably interpret some of that as silly. But like when you've given yourself over to the movie 
to the narrative for it to take you on the journey and let it take you on the journey, I discovered that, you know, all, all of that tropey stuff that I see, I don't care because it's more important for me to invest emotionally with the story and the characters and um, perhaps even give in or be vulnerable uh, to the manipulation because this movie made me feel something and, and, and that's important. Um, and it's not something that happens often in, in crass consumer art that, that that's meant to like sell movie tickets or streaming subscriptions or toy lines, merchandise, uh, action figures, uh, things like that. But like this movie is the, this movie is the real deal. It, um, it, it gave me the feels. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how else to, to put it, but like, you know, it's, um, so yeah. So, so rocket goes to, goes to animal heaven when it seems like he's, he's done for. And he obviously sees Lila and they and they and they reunite. And it's literally like we've seen this trope one million times. It's like, oh, hey, I can go to go to heaven with a uh, with all my friends. Yeah, man. And, we're you know, we're, we're just hanging out here in, in heaven. And and Rocket's like, hey, can I can can I go? Yeah, absolutely. You can. And then he steps into the light, as it were. And then, and then, God damn it! I'm gonna, I'm gonna Kevin Smith cry here. Um, but but she puts up her her robot arm and stops him and says, "But not yet." And it's just like, God damn it! I mean, it's so it it it's such it's such a well worn, overused trope. But I don't care. You know that that that's the thing. It's just I I I don't care. It freaking works. Um. So, um, so anyway, so, so Rocket gets a very complete, uh, storyline here and, and the thing that I just, um, I, I, again, just so many things that, that just kind of like, you know, when, when I think about it, I just kind of get like kind of warm and fuzzy about it. It's like, so Rocket's narrative throughout the, through the entire Marvel MCU saga, you know, regardless of if it's in the Guardians movies or the Avengers movies or or whatever. He's like, I don't know what a raccoon is, but whatever it is, that's not me. You know, so he identifies as something other. And because of the uh genetic manipulation by the high evolutionary, he is something other. But there there's this Oh my god the, the this uh this touching scene where he um goes back to rescue the animals and he unlocks the cages with no, he he sees the sign um with describing what they are cuz he sees all, all these teeny tiny baby raccoons these teeny tiny uh computer generated raccoons and he sees by the the description of what they are that they they are indeed raccoons and he knows since he came from that cage that he is indeed a raccoon and you get you get this um 
you get this fuck yeah moment where, um, you know, it's it's the high evolutionaries. He's come for come for a face off. And um, the, this whole thing where throughout the the entirety of the movie, um, uh, the the high evolutionary is always referring to him by his uh, number, you know, eight, nine, P one, three. Um, you know, cause, uh, cause like the, his batch and designation and all, all that other stuff. Um, and you know, Bradley Cooper's so great in this. Um, you know, he just picks up his gun and he's cock, he cocks it and he's like, you know, my name's rocket click clack rocket raccoon. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I really thought that that was a, um, a, a genuine fist pumping fuck yeah moment. Um, because that was the thing I, I remember back in 2014 being being kind of kind of surly and salty about it. You know, I've talked about this before where it's like, you know, back when um, stuff that didn't quite line up the way I wanted it to kind of irked me. So it irked me that like I remember watching the title sequence of Guardians of the Galaxy saying like Rocket. Well, his name's Rocket Raccoon um, from the comics. He's Rocket Raccoon. And I thought that it was really cool. After 10 years and however many movies, he finally embraces it and um, accepts it, that that he is a rocket raccoon. Um, not because that's what someone else told him, but that was something that he chose uh, to name for himself. So I, I just I just thought that that was um, super cool. Now. I, I I have spent all of this time uh, talking about Rocket, but I have not talked about any of the other characters. And um, the thing that I like about this movie is since, since it since it is kind of a victory lap and it is kind of the last time that we will see these characters together, most likely um, the last time we'll see some of these characters, period. Um, like... Uh, uh, Batista has said that he's done playing Drax and that he's very satisfied with, with where he's at with the character. And, um, I, I really like the high note that he puts him on. And, um, I mean, what, what a, what, what an arc that, that, that Dave Batista as, as an actor, Dave Batista comma actor and as well as his uh, uh, trajectory as Drax the Destroyer, um, he's become uh, a very multifaceted character and is uh, uh, well liked. And I, I, I think this, I think this is his best performance as the character. And because he kind of um, lets his guard down a little bit and has some of that vulnerability, but. I respect the hell out of Batista for um, taking acting seriously. I mean, because like when when he first signed on to be Drax, you know, it was just like, you know, he he fit the body type. You know, he, he's professional wrestler turned actor. But I, I think it was right around the time of the James Bond movie. I think he was like the henchman inspector. And he was talking about that in interviews, saying like, you know, I I want to be a serious actor. I want to take these roles very seriously. Um, you know, I've been doing rigorous acting classes. And ironically enough, because that 
that character just is is nothing in that movie. Um, unfortunately, um, it, kind of a waste of uh, of his talents. But it, it's it's been it's been really cool actually to see um, uh, Batista's trajectory as a serious actor. Like he's he's terrific in uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He he's pretty great in uh, in Dune. And um, a couple other things um, as well. Oh, even what was what was what was that Amazon movie? Uh, My Spy, where you know basically like you know he's he's a um, you know he's a secret agent dad, and um, and it, and it's a lot of fun. Um, Batista feels like what The Rock could have been if he wasn't so goddamn earnest. You know what? I, I I don't want to get on another tangent, but I used to be Team Rock for so for so long. I am no longer Team Rock, because um, like when it was the 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 you know kind of head to head between uh, Battle of Egos between uh, the Rock and Vin Diesel, I was like, yeah, Vin Diesel, what a what a prima donna, what a, what a diva, you know, the Rock puts in the work, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, but af- after in in the wake of all this Black Adam stuff, uh, I just I, d- I just can't anymore. Um, too high on his own supply, uh, too coked up on his own hubris. I, I'm off the rock train. There's there's a rumor that um, well, I don't know if it's even a rumor anymore because I saw it in a couple reputable news articles. But um, apparently the rock is going to return in a post credit scene in Fast 10, um, Fast 10, your seatbelts for more rock, um, which which is which is even more sad, which is even more sad because, you know, The Rock had said, you know, I'm done with these movies. I, I got my Black Adam and all that. I don't need Vin Diesel. I don't need any of this other stuff. And for now, post that to have to kind of come back with his tail between his legs and say, Oh, I guess I'll be in these movies after all. It's embarrassing. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really like Batista in this and I really like him in this role. Um, and I, I just like that. He, he's just kind of like a goofy dad. Um, like, like there's the scene with, uh, with the kids in the, in, in the cells and he's talking about like, you know, I, I used to have a daughter like you and she liked it when I made monkey sounds and he starts going beep, 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 beep. And it just like that, that whole scene is, uh, is, is just, uh, um, just terrific. Um, uh, so fun and, and it has a hell of a payoff when the guardians go to, um uh go their separate ways and nebula tells him um it's like uh but drax you didn't you know you you weren't born to be a destroyer you were born to be a dad and that's um man i i'm not a dad but that's uh i mean that that's gotta that's gotta hit you right in the dad feels um so i i i again i i find that to be um, incredibly satisfying. And since, um, since I mentioned her already, um, I, I, I gotta talk about, um, Karen Gillan as, uh, as Nebula, um, a character that when we first meet her in guardians of the galaxy is very one note and is very just generic henchman villain. 
And I don't know if there is a character in the entire 32 film saga of the of this Marvel Cinematic Universe that has it has had a more complete um character arc than Nebula has to go from um villain to hero and to be um to to go from a character that has been deeply traumatized and profoundly angry to in the final moments of the movie let go of that and to be joyful um was uh was very profound uh for me in fact even uh, uh Karen Gillan her, herself had had um uh posted on Twitter it was like how it started, how it's going. And it's like, it's a screenshot from guardians of the galaxy volume one, where she's looking all pissed off and earnest and evil and, and just mad. And, um, the, uh, the, how's it's going with, um, you know, with, with, uh, Nebula with her, with her arms raised, just joyfully cheering and, um, um, good stuff, man. Um, I like Karen Gillan anyway, and if I was um, more of a creep, I, I would talk about why I like Karen Gillan. I, I find her especially attractive, and but but more than that, I I I just like her um, uh, character work and acting style. I, I think she's really great in those Jumanji movies, and. Um, and 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 I think I think it's a great performance here. And I I think what what folks that criticize the performance miss is that I don't know. I I, I just feel like it, she's playing the long game here. Like a lot of folks have are like have been critical of like uh, the way she speaks. Like you know, um, uh, Nebula kind of talks like how Zoe Saldana does in those avatar movies. Like I talked about it in my, in my way of the water uh, review where, where uh, Zoe Saldana sounds like she ran like wind sprints and then did her vocal work. She just sounds like out of breath. And, um, and Karen Gillan sounds like that, that there there's like a, a breathless huskiness to it that, that for some reason I've always liked. Um, but I, I know it's not everyone's uh, cup of tea, but it's, um, and I don't know if this is a reflection to uh, some of my um, uh, current challenges and struggles with regards to, you know, my mental health or mental well-being or kind of like trying to get myself on the road to to feeling better. But um, I, I I have a deeper appreciation for a character whose defining trait was being profoundly angry. Um, and to end the movie uh, with uh, in, in happiness with joyous celebration, and that just um, man, that just it just it, it just um, just really stuck with me. Um, let me see, do, 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 do. let me just kind of run down the cast. Um, Chris Pratt, obviously, you know he's um, he's uh, uh, you know your mileage may vary. Um, about how you feel about the Chris Pratt. I, 
I have um, kind of gone hot and cold on on this dude. He he is objectively the worst Chris um, uh, of all. But I will say he is terrific in this movie, and it's the best he's ever been as this character. Um, so whether whether you like him or like his stance on things or really anything about him, um, he he brings a, a charming slacker swagger um, to this character, and. One of the criticisms could be is that, you know, he kind of kind of takes a back seat to which I kind of say that that's that's what the story needs it to be, because it it needs to be about these characters as an ensemble. It it really it feels like it feels like one of those Fast and Furious movies where it's all about family and and this this movie more than the others feels like it's a celebration of this found family, which, you know, is 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 one of my favorite tropes. Um, we spend so much time with the characters, even even when they're split up, like like early in the movie where it's just like, oh hey, uh Sean Gunn and uh you know Craglin and and Cosmo the the Soviet dog, you guys need to stay here. And I'm like, oh brother, we're we're splitting up and going into different directions. But um uh, which is one of my criticisms of that volume too. Um, it's like once once the characters split off and have separate storytellings, it it just it feels kind of cheap. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting. The more I'm talking to you about this, I I think I am becoming. It's crystallizing more why why this why this movie is important to me. Because, um, you know, Peter Quill is is shown to be in a uh, deep depression, um, uh, still reeling uh, from from the death of Gamora. And um, and speaking of Gamora, it, it is interesting, like when first time through. So so Zoe Saldana um, reprises as as Gamora a role that she kind of didn't want to do. She wanted to be out of this character like two movies ago. Um, but she's said that, you know, she she's heard and seen that this character is um, important representation for young girls. And that kind of fuels her to keep um, uh, to keep doing it. But um, but but this is the last time. And it is interesting where she kind of ends up at, you know, with, with, with the ravagers at the, um, at, at the end. Um, it's odd to me a little bit how the, how the character is referred to, because basically this is a version, a variant, if you will, of Gamora that, that, that was pulled from the timeline prior to, the uh, beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. So she never met Peter Quill and um, didn't didn't go on that same trajectory. So she, so she's a younger version also. Um, and 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 that doesn't get touched on enough, but it, it's this there's a lot of dialogue about like, oh, well, um, well, Gamora is dead. Well, no, she isn't. She just doesn't remember. And it's like, well, but the person that 
all of the characters had a relationship. That person is dead. She got she got thrown off the magic cliff by by Thanos. And you, you know, when when I was telling you earlier that I felt like this this movie operates pretty well as a trilogy, one of the things that I was referring to is that um there there is a fair amount of exposition shared in this movie. Like I, I'm thinking in particular the elevator scene when they're at Ogre Orgo Corp and um you know Quill is kind of recapping his uh relationship uh with Gamora and he talks about you know the magic cliff and like you know no the other people that 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 died came back um or the other people that died that came back uh, uh except for her he I think he kind of forgot about Black Widow there for a sec but um not that he would know, um, but no, anyway, I, um, I, I have a take that I feel like this movie is relatively tidy with regards to the larger Marvel MCU continuity and that this movie gives you everything that you need. So like you can go, I, I have not done this experiment myself, but I feel like you can watch guardians, of the galaxy volume two then go uh, have a snack or a restroom break or something like that. Then sit down and watch volume three and you'll be kind of lost, kind of thrown in head first, not knowing precisely what all is going on because you get the immediate payoff of the Adam Warlock uh, post-credit scene uh, from, from volume two that, that pays off almost right away. Um, but the movie at, at different times gives you exposition and explanation of the other stuff that had happened in the other movies as it goes. Um, and again, therefore making it pretty tiny. So tidy. Um, so even if you didn't see infinity war or end game, um, this movie gives you what you need. And to the point where it's, it's surly Peter Quill kind of, kind of, giving his version of it. And Nebula even says, she's like, well, Hey man, you, you left a lot out, but that's basically the gist of it. And I really think that that's James Gunn being deft about how he wants to incorporate the larger, um, uh, storyline. Uh, but I, but I do think that, that Zoli Saldana is, is, is really good in this. Um, um, she plays Gamora with that, with that, fiery intensity that, that that we've seen in the other movies. And I didn't, I, I guess I wasn't paying attention to it as closely the first time through as I did the second time through, but you know, she's, she's giving a really good performance on, um, on, on par with, with, um, uh, with the other actors. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know how I exactly feel about her story arc and where she ends up, because really, in a sense, she kind of doesn't have a lot to do, which was one of my hang ups the first time through the second time through. I was just enjoying the performance. So it, it's it's um, it just kind of becomes a different thing. And but there there is a pivotal <laughs> I did that word again, pivotal. Pivotable, not pivotable. Um, a, a a crucial scene between uh, uh, Gamora and Quill, 
and she's yelling at him, telling him it's like, you know, what what are you missing that you need me to be something for you? And that really uh, cuts to the heart of like some of like the, 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 the gender dynamics here and that like. Yeah, so so she's a female character and therefore is just expected to be subservient to the, to this male character and it's um it's also I don't know it, it 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 whether Quill realizes that he's doing it or not but he's he's taking away or potentially wants to take away some of Gamora's agency. It's like, well, well hey man, so we used to to be a couple, so therefore we need to be a couple again. Um, and it's it, it it's more about what what Peter wants, um, not necessarily what Gamora wants or what what they want together. And I I thought, um, I I thought more of that dynamic and that dichotomy, uh, the the second time through, um, I I also. Um, liked kind of uh her being the the uh vinegar in the oil uh with the with the other guardians. You know, it's like you know she she's she's abrasive, and but I I did like um her uh brief uh dynamics with with Nebula the, the you know uh, uh grunting and and the nodding uh giving each other the nod and i thought that that was um but uh um uh lucky has sisters and i'm uh i i'm an only child obviously and so i i thought i i imagined at one point i didn't actually do it but i i was thinking to lean over at one point and be like uh sisters am i right <laughs> just to just to kind of see what um uh what what that response would be and um, and yeah, I w- want to go back to, to Karen Gillan as, as Nebula for, for a hot minute, because like there, there was a couple, couple sequences I wanted to call out that, that I forgot about earlier. First of all, um, early in the movie where, uh, where they're at nowhere and, and Peter Quill is, is drunk and it's the, you know, opening shot of the movie where, um, lots of slow-mo uh, walking as a group. I mean, I, I counted at least, what, four different times where the group is is kind of walking in a um, in a line um, uh, in slow motion. But, like, at, at the beginning of the movie when, like, the, the credits start, um, she's she's holding uh, Peter Quill. She's she's taking him from uh, from the bar to put him to bed and. Um, that uh that that isn't Chris Pratt that that's um uh that is a a doll uh director James Gunn told IGN this uh this from an IGN article I found by the way interesting fact about that body that body is not really Chris Pratt right they built a body and it weighed 35 pounds and it looks exactly like it's me. really it's very eerie yeah and James now has it in his office that's I had it in my office for a long time and people would come in and scream they would what in it and scream They'd come in and scream. What? Because when it's sitting on its back, they would it, do what? Come in. <laughs> what did you say? They come in and scream. <laughs> oh, come in and scream. <laughs> I was like, how many people did you like? 
come in here and scream. I don't know. Dude. <laughs> I let everybody have a crack. It'll, it'll. It'll you're like, you're like, it's really important that it looks exactly like Chris, and he's asleep with his mouth yeah. open. Let them come. Um, so I, I thought that was, um, and, and it's funny not knowing that it was fake the first time through, and then knowing it's fake now, watching it, it's, it's pretty damn, uh, pretty damn, uh, convincing, um, in terms of being a, a, uh, a, a doll there <laughs> but uh but but there's um it, it's probably i don't know i don't know if it's my favorite scene in the movie but like uh it's all over the trailer but i like i talked about the elevator scene earlier but the, but there's the, this little bit of dialogue um between uh, uh quill and nebula about oh and and uh and Gamora as well the three of them are talking about Peter being so hung up on uh Gamora and she's like you know the person that you're describing sounds more like her gestures to Nebula to which she is just not having it and I guess from the from the trailer where it's like you know it's like you know uh, don't even don't even with that and uh for what is probably the first time uh peter quill looks over at at nebula with with like flirty eyes and it's um we're just like in this in this screaming karen gellan voice she's just like knock it off <laughs> and it just it made me laugh out loud uh both times and um you know he says something like well i just never noticed how black your eyes were <laughs> and and uh but this isn't in the trailer, but like Nebula has 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 this terrific stinging line where she's just like, you know, don't look at me like a puppy looking for somewhere warm to lie down. And I just I, I just I, I think I, I think that's a that that's a really cool um, way of Nebula having um, uh, autonomy and agency Um so yeah, it was you know, so it feels like there there's a bit of a, of a tease of possible uh romance there. Uh but James Gunn has said in interviews that he denies having ever considered the two becoming a couple, though uh Gillen uh does believe that Nebula harbors a small crush for uh Peter Quill. So, um but yeah, that 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 scene is is fantastic. I I I love it so much. Um, uh, let's talk about Mantis, uh, Palm Clementif, uh, returns. Um, and again, I, I think she's the best she's been in this though. I think she's pretty funny in the, in the, um, holiday special as well, which I'll, I'll talk about in a few. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the, it, it underscores the part that I, I like about this movie is that it. It's James Gunn has created a playground for these performers who have been these characters for a while now. And, and it just gives them a playground to bounce off of each other. Like, like there's just some really great scenes between uh, Mantis and Nebula and Drax. And um, they they spend this whole extended action sequence together. And it's, and it's just some, some really great, 
uh, uh, character stuff. And I, I, I like that, that Mantis has like this, um, I, I don't know, um, delightfully foreign um, uh, texture about her, but also, um, you know, the, there's, there's like a, a, a gentle, naive aspect, but also delightfully mischievous. Like, um, you know, she, she's very careful with how she use, uses her emp- em- empathic mental powers, but like the, the, the scene where, she uh makes the guard fall in love with Drax and just Batista's response to that this happens regularly and and Mantis is just um um delighted by that and i i just i just think that that's um uh, uh pretty terrific um uh, speaking of uh Vin Diesel he does uh uh, reprise as Groot, and I want to talk about this uh, um, uh, a scene towards the end, where basically, like, the, there's this ongoing joke of uh, Gamora not knowing what Groot is saying, but that everyone else does, and I I missed it the first time through, but. Um, you know, like Gamora is saying, like, you know, it, he's just saying, I am Groot. You know, you can't hear what he's saying, you know. And um, but it's towards the end of the movie, and they're um, you know, they're, they're about to go their separate ways, and Groot from behind um uh you know says, I am Groot, and then she responds and it's like, you know what, it was great working with you too, and then she realizes that she now understands what what he's saying. Um so I I I I thought that was um I I thought that was sweet. But when we're going around and kind of disbanding the guardians, uh Groot says, "I love you guys." And this is one of those um I I suppose it's an interpretation thing, but um at first I thought it was, um, you know, Groot is just speaking English now and now we, the audience, um, you know, understand what he's saying, but in actuality, what it is, is that like Gamora, um, like the other guardians, we, we, the audience now know what Groot is saying. And I I think that's that's a lovely, if not ambiguous, sentiment, um, because like that that wasn't that's not explicitly clear, but it doesn't ne- necessarily uh, have to be. Um, but but regardless, I I, I think that was uh that was pretty nice. Um, I already talked about uh, Bradley Cooper as Rocket. Um, I, I think he's really good at this for not really having um, a lot of dialogue. Um, 
uh, Sean Gunn uh, does uh, return and do the the uh, motion capture uh, for Rocket, and then also he um, uh, voices young Rocket, and I, I I would have to I guess I would have to watch it a third time because I I'm looking on on the wiki now. Um, I'll just read it as as it's written. Uh, Sean Gunn once again provided on-set motion capture for the character while also voicing young Rocket. Bradley Cooper also voiced adolescent Rocket while Nora Raskin voiced baby Rocket. And I mean, I, I suppose there are are three stages now that now that I think about it. Um, but the the young Rocket stuff. Um, I, I also found, um, uh, really affecting as well. Like, like there is a scene with rocket and the high evolutionary and they're, and they're talking about going to counter earth and, you know, uh, rocket points and says, uh, sky and, um, God, the, the, the delivery of this just like, um, just just really gets me it's like you know he sees he sees a a ship taking off and he looks at it and points and just says rocket and just the way that he says it just um um i don't know just 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 really just really got to me um you know just just something um you know nice and sweet uh, uh the way that, the way that he puts it um but I, I don't know if that if that was uh, Sean Gunn, if it was that young a rocket or if it was uh, Bradley Cooper as um, adolescent rocket. I, I think by the time you get to the end of the rocket flashbacks, I think that's when um, uh, Bradley Cooper um, is there. Uh, speaking of uh, Sean Gunn, he um, reprises as Craglin, the um, uh, you know, he's now got the fin. He's trying to master the arrow and uh, doesn't until the end of the movie when he is inspired by the ghost of Michael Rooker as uh, uh, returning as uh, Yondu, which I, I thought was really neat. And it's like my favorite episode of Cold Case where it's like he's there and then like a person passes by and then he disappears. I thought that that was uh um, I, I thought that was a really cool cameo. I like that it doesn't outstay its welcome. I like that there isn't like a whole lot of dialogue. It's like, what does he say? He's like, use your heart, boy, or some, some such like that. Um, really good rooker there. Um, but the thing, the thing that, that's, uh, I don't know if, um, cause I, I don't, uh, let let me see if I can find a picture of uh, Sean Gunn because he's what what I can't tell is if like his um, body type his his body characteristics is um, if he's wearing a suit or if he just has like a a disproportionate uh, pot belly. It's very um, odd. So it's like when when I when I um, when he shows up as uh as craglin he's he's got like this you know he's got the leather jacket on but he's got like the this weird pot belly which is kind of like the same as he looks when he's the um um uh model or cg model for uh for uh um weasel 
in uh, in the Suicide Squad. And it's like, so when he's being craggling at the beginning of the movie, I was like, oh, he's just doing Weasel, where he's kind of like walking around kind of funny with with this pot belly. It's like, do you forget what movie he's in? I'm scrolling through Google, and I can't really see a a um, a full body pic of this dude um, out of out of costume. So, yeah, I I, I I'm I, I, I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> just you know, at, at a time where you know we're we're talking about like body dysmorphia and stuff, maybe maybe me talking about uh, somebody may or may not having a a pot belly is probably not good. But he's he's terrific in it, and um and um just enough because I think what this character is is kind of like a um kind of kind of a a, a savory seasoning. And I think in that second one, he kind of outstays his welcome um, a little bit. Um, uh, speaking of the the other um, uh, James Gunn players, uh, Nathan Fillion shows up as the as the as the leader of the Orgo Centuries at, at the Orgo Cor- Corp, wearing a a ridiculous balloon suit. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a neat little role for him. Um, Sylvester Stallone, uh, returns as, as one of the, one of the leads, uh, lead ravagers as well. And it's, it's just kind of funny. The, the, these wacky side characters. Oh, you know, I, I didn't talk about Will Poulter as, uh, as Adam Warlock. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like, uh, the, Fans of Adam Warlock, and I and I I say that without sarcasm or malice, um, because every character is somebody's favorite character. Um, I I think they kind of took a Iron Man three Mandarin twist with regards to uh, this iteration of Adam Warlock. You know, as as being portrayed as undercooked. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of a bit of a dullard and, you know, cause, cause like he's childlike because they, they pulled him, they pulled him out of the egg too soon. Um, so, so, you know, should have left him in the oven a little bit longer, but, um, I, I think what, uh, Will Poulter is pretty good in, in this role and he does a lot of, uh, of physical comedy and he, um, you know, is, is, is convincing, as this um, childlike but insanely powerful being, and to which I I would say with regards to you know him not being the the Adam Warlock that the fans would want, I would say given the post credit scene that he's not Adam Warlock yet. Um, so I would like to think with his association with the new guardians that that would, um, you know, he, he might grow into that, um, into that character that, that, that those folks, uh, love now, obviously he'll be very different because he, you know, that there's, I I don't know if we're going back to doing infinity stone. So I don't know if we're going to be doing Adam Warlock in the infinity watch or anything like that, but, um, It'll be interesting to see if he ends up having a larger cosmic role 
uh, later on, you know, maybe when we start introducing Galactus and the Silver Surfer and, and you know, blowing the blowing the, the doors off of, of the cosmic Marvel universe. Because keep in mind, you still got Celestials out there. Um, you know, not not much good to say about uh, about the Eternals, but um, it establishes that Celestials are a thing. So um, there there is a cosmic Marvel universe to be had. Um, also, a, a half a celestial like came out of the earth and it's been six movies and nobody seems to be interested in talking about that. Um, but kind of ra- rounding out uh, some of the the cast and cameos here, I have I have two paragraphs that I'm just going to read from uh from the from the Wikipedia here, so I don't skip nothing. Uh, reprising their respective roles from previous Guardians films and or the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special are Elizabeth Debicki as um, Aisha, the Golden High Priestess and leader of the Sovereign, who had Adam Warlock created to destroy the Guardians. Um, Michael Rosenbaum, uh, better known as uh, Lex Luthor from uh, TV Smallville. Uh, shows up as uh, Martin X, the uh, one of the high-ranking uh, uh, Ravagers, uh, the Crystal Dude. Like, um, uh, I, I, I had somebody ask me this. It's like, oh, I heard Lex Luthor was in this movie. I bet you, I bet you don't know who it is. I'm like, it's the Crystal Dude, and um, he only has one line, and he's only in like two scenes or something like that. But if you know what Michael Rosenbaum looks like, it's 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 definitely him. Um, I'm sure he's just uh, I'm sure it's a CGI uh, thing, but it's definitely uh, based on his um, head and facial features. Um, uh, Christopher Fairbank returns as the broker uh, from the very first uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Uh, he, he was the dude that, um, was brokering the, the deal between, um, Quill and the collector for the, uh, for the orb, which we know has that infinity stone in there. Uh, Greg Henry, uh, is Quill's grandfather, Jason, uh, Marina Bakalova, uh, reprises her role in motion capture role from the holiday special as Cosmo, a member of the Guardians who is a sapient dog that develops psionic abilities after being sent into space by the Soviet Union. A gun changed Cosmo's gender from male as depicted in the comics to female for the film as a tribute to the character's in original inspiration, Lakia, a Soviet space dog who became one of the first animals in space. Uh, speaking of Cosmo, uh, I, I, I do uh, want to talk about the uh, the holiday special a little bit. Now I'll get back to the the um, rounding out the cast. Um, I, I saw an article earlier today from a uh, tech radar. Uh, cinema is dead and Guardians of the Galaxy 3's final scene proves it. Um, seeing all of Quill and Company's cinematic adventures, it's not enough, comma, apparently. Um, and basically the, this this article goes on to um, lambaste the um, not the connection between the other movies like the the Infinity War, the Endgame, the Love and Thunder and all that other stuff, but the holiday special that was exclusive to Disney Plus. Apparently, the author of this article had canceled their Disney Plus subscription uh, prior uh, 
you know, some time ago, missed the holiday special and then saw um, uh, Cosmo and the Guardians living in nowhere and that um, uh, that 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 snapshot of Kevin Bacon and and obviously the the newspaper uh, which refers to Kevin Bacon talking about his alien objection, which was depicted in the Guardians of the Galaxy Hollywood special, um, as more or less saying like, well, 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 what gives? You know, um, I'm scrolling through this to see if I can find a, um, a quote. Oh, this is very lengthy. I've been thinking about it all wrong. Disney knows it's cash cow. Streaming is the future. Oh, I think one of the other things that the, the writer of this article kind of puts in is kind of like the dichotomy between declining uh, box office revenues and the um, uh, uptick in streaming. And I think we're in a very confusing time in terms of content, whether it's theatrical or streaming or VOD or or what and and. Um, and, you know, being two hours into a Guardians of the Galaxy movie review, this this isn't necessarily the the um, forum for that. But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know uh, what the right answer is. I had a lengthy discussion with somebody at work today and I I didn't think anything of it because I watched the holiday special when it aired. So, um. So I knew about everything already, but I didn't realize that I had information that that somebody didn't. And I don't know. I I I I think that the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special is is a good example of take it or leave it type of thing. You know, um, but there is a more cynical insidious side where it's like, well, um, Maybe Disney is mandating that, you know, you put something out there on the exclusive streaming platform to make this stuff count. Uh, on the flip side, you know, Kevin Feige and the Disney machine has has, has said that these TV shows are going to count. I mean, we saw that in Multiverse of Madness. You know, if you didn't watch WandaVision, you know, you know, how do you know anything that's going on? It looks like the Marvels is going to be drawn heavily on uh on the Ms. Marvel TV show. So it's like I, I don't know. I I I have Disney Plus and and I watch these shows. So I don't I don't know I I I don't know what to tell you and I don't really know how to how to parse this out. But it was an article that I saw that kind of uh kind of tweaked my melon a, <laughs> a little bit. Um but anyway, uh, uh getting back to the cast here. Uh Tara Strong who voiced uh, Miss Minutes in in the Disney Plus series Loki, uh, voices Mainframe, who was previously voiced by Miley Cyrus in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. She's the floating uh, robot head. And, uh, you know, obviously Tara Strong, a very prolific uh, voice actress, and, and is obviously uh, very prolific in the, as uh, is, is a part of the, uh, of the Disney staple. Um, Asim Chaudhry voices Tiefs, a anthropomorphic walrus. Michaela Hoover, who played Nova Prime's assistant in the first film, voices Floor, 
uh, an anthropomorphic rabbit. Daniela Malakor uh, voices Ura, uh, the receptionist of Ogre Corp. Uh, she was Ratcatcher 2 in the Suicide Squad. Uh, Miriam Shore and Nico Santos appear as recorder uh, Vim and recorder Thiel, respectively, the scientifically minded henchmen of the high evolutionary. And I couldn't help, you know, uh, over on Two Mics Too Furious, I, I was talking about, uh, we, we were talking about Peter Stormare. Uh, recently in uh, um, in the episode Total Meltdown. Um, and the these recorder folks reminded me of Peter Stormare in, in the uh, Volkswagen commercials. Uh, Jennifer Holland, uh, who is married to James Gunn and has faced criticisms for being in all these James Gunn projects, uh, she appears as... A, a security employee of Orgocorp and and does a terrific job of um <laughs> of screaming her head off after she gets shot by Gamora in the leg. Uh some very very convincing leg pain shooting thing. Um uh, Judy Greer, who played uh, Maggie Lang in the first two Ant-Man movies, voices War Pig, the uh, uh, cyborg pig working for the high evolutionary. And I thought that, you know, like they almost had like a bebop and rocksteady thing going on there with the with the war pig and this uh, the, the behemoth cyborg bird thing. Um, yeah. And, and then you and then you get like uh, a couple assorted cameos. Um, you got, you got, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, uh, voice voicing a, a goon and, uh, uh, Pete Davidson of all people, uh, shows up as, uh, as, as one of the goons, uh, later. And he actually has a line, uh, that I, that I missed, uh, first time through. And it was so funny because like there, there was a guy at work is like, oh yeah, Pete Davidson is in this movie. This, this was before the press screening. I'm like, no, you're thinking of the suicide squad. Um, no, no, I don't think so. So sure enough, I had to, I, I had to kind of, um, eat some crow there and give an apology. I was like, yeah, no, the, the, the Pete Davidson is in that movie. And then, um, uh, finally, uh, writer, director, James Gunn, uh, does a cameo as the voice of Lamb Shank, an experiment of the high evolutionary and is one of the most upsetting, uh, character designs in in that movie because he's all like malformed and stuff uh, causes Mantis to to scream and she's like no there's something very scary behind you um, I'm not screaming at you uh, you're uh, you're beautiful or something like that um, um, so let me take a, a quick peek through my notes make sure I um, didn't uh, miss anything oh my god I, I've been two hours into this and I didn't talk about the um, the hallway fight, the the action packed one shot, the don't sleep till Brooklyn needle drop. Um, I, I don't know how I got so far away from that 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 I didn't come back to it. But um, what a terrific action scene! And you know, like like I've talked about in a movie that um, that the characters had every character had something to do. Yes, it was a computer generated um slow mo um over overdeveloped thing. Um but I kind of didn't care 
because it, it's it, it's a cool hallway fight and it and it's um you know it's kind of meant to be a, a one shot which is kind of like you know the the camera moves but there's no edits now since it's all computer generated i don't know if that that especially matters i saw some discourse on twitter talking about uh the the one shot uh from from the trailer of Transformers Rise of the Beast and it's like well how can it be a one shot when it's when there's no camera and it's all computer generated imagery um I'm not going to legislate that here but um but yeah no the you know set to the beastie boys and every member of the guardians gets a uh, um you know it it reminds me a little bit this this is a dumb comparison but it's it it's on my mind um You'll uh, you'll find out why when you listen to Two Mike's Two Furious uh, later this week. But um, it reminded me a little bit of G.I. Joe the movie. Now, there's nothing in there, either content or otherwise, that 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 has anything to do thematically with G.I. Joe the movie other than its characters, um, their actions handing off from one character to the next. So it's like, you know, uh, somebody gets stabbed and then falls over and then gets punched in the face by this other character as the camera whips around to somebody else uh, shooting this person as one person's handing a gun to another person. And it's it it's it, it it's um, brilliantly choreographed. And I love the um, exhibition of teamwork and everybody working with each other and taking out the bad guys. And of course, like I mentioned with the violence earlier, there's like pig people getting like chopped in half and, and uh, you know, uh, all, all kinds of like hard creatures getting blows up. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, kind of taking that, that um, uh, transformer sensibility um, to it. Um, but yeah, I couldn't get out of here without without talking about that one shot because that was a um, that that was a that was a real um, uh, highlight for me. Um, a lot of the a lot of the Easter eggs uh, I've already talked about, uh, but one I didn't mention earlier is um, uh, calling all the way back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. And, you know, they're they're on Xandar uh, with the Nova Corps and they're, you know, like in that lineup and uh, Rocket his uh, on on like his wanted poster and stuff like that. It 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 gives it gives you his name. It's like subject eight nine P one three and under um, associates um, uh, Lila is mentioned uh, by name. So all the way. Uh, back there in Guardians Volume One, I, I thought that was um, I, I thought it was fascinating that um, that it goes that far back. So, um, anyway, so yeah, so there there is uh the Guardians of the Galaxy uh Volume Three. I think I am about all talked out, but before I leave uh leave you here, it is a Good Lord, it is a a busy time in the in the Mike Cyber Radio uh, podcast universe. I have all kinds of stuff um, uh, going on and coming up that I would like to let you know about. Starting with coming up on uh, Wednesday, uh, do I have this here? 
Um, Wednesday, May 17th, 7 p.m. Pacific time, or if you are in uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time, uh, that's going to be on the 18th at 12 noon. I will be joined on the MSRP live stream by Dr. Brainstorm, the writer of the brand new Transformers fan comic Thunder Clash Goes Bananas. Um, that is going to be uh, benefiting uh, Toy Foo and uh, Mary's Meals. Um, and it's a, it, it, it's a terrific um, fan project. Um, I talked to Ashley Artley last year um, about this, uh, about this book. And now that it it's here. So, and, and it's so exciting within the first week of uh, the campaign, they already smashed through their initial goal. So when Dr. Brainstorm uh, joins me on the live stream, uh, we're going to talk about stretch goals uh, for the uh, crowdfunder for Thunder Clash Goes Bananas. The, re- the response has been uh, terrific, and I'll, I'll be quite honest. I was thinking it was going to be one of those uh, shows, podcast live streams, where it's like, oh, man, we really need to wrap our arms around this project. Um, it really needs to get fund. It's for a great cause. Um, you know, all the great work that Toy Foo does uh, with, with Mary's Meals and all of that. And uh, instead, it's going to be more of a victory lap celebration, very similar to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, but that, but that, that's going to be um, that's going to be a really cool, fun conversation that I think um, you're really going to like. Uh, later this week, uh, Two Mics, Two Furious is back on schedule where me and Michael Andrews will be talking about Transformers Animated Season 1, Episode 8, Nanosec, where we're going to learn about um, a dude with a super speed space suit, um, which uh, uh, that was that was a really fun episode, especially if you're a fan of Transformers Animated and human supervillains, uh, which, uh, which seems to be a hallmark of these early episodes of uh, TFA. And just as a reminder, Two Mics, Two Furious is a podcast where we go through every episode of Transformers Animated for the first time. I have never watched TFA, and uh, my uh, my partner in this adventure, Michael Andrews, is a serial rewatcher super fan. So he's kind of guiding me uh, through. And folks have really been digging it so far, and it's been really a lot of fun. So I think um, I think you're going to dig that. Um, uh, further in the future, well, actually, no, I got a couple things I can, I can announce here because I, I have some hard dates for stuff. Um, on Tuesday, May the 30th, the Mike Seibert radio podcast live stream returns and we are discussing the second half of season one of Transformers Earthspark. It is, uh, the, the reunion of Mike and the Earth Sparkles including uh, myself and uh, Joe Bot and General Techno and uh, and Lita and and the aforementioned Michael Andrews and um, and and a sixth guest that um, uh, that might be joining us as well uh, TBD um, and I think that's it that I can I, I've got some other stuff cooking but nothing I can announce. Um, Cybefest Northwest, uh, the unofficial Transformers convention in the Pacific Northwest by the fans for the fans is happening July 8th. 
um, at the Kent Commons Community Center in lovely Kent, Washington. I do have an announcement to share with you here now. Um, attendees of Cybefest Northwest 2023 will have the opportunity to purchase an exclusive transforming figure, Generation Zero Wheelless Jack. Um, Generation Zero Wheelless Jack is an exclusive transforming figure in collaboration with Blue Forge. It's an all-new mold in scale with the G1 Minibots. Generation Zero Wheelless Jack converts from robot mode to vehicle mode and will look great in collections with G1 Minibots, Legend Scale Generations, or the original inspiration was to be a partner for the original CybeCon exclusives Bumblebee and Jazz from way back in the day, all to celebrate the 10th anniversary of uh, CybeFest Northwest. Uh, the amazing box art for this figure uh, will feature packaging uh, developed by Ashley Artley, uh, who worked on Chapter 2 of Thunder Clash Goes Bananas. Um, now, some real nitty-gritty stuff, and maybe this is where you want to start booking plane tickets. Generation Zero Wheelless Jack will be a limited edition of 30 and will be available for purchase at the show for $45. Quantities will be very limited, so please check out our exclusive sections on SideFestNorthwest.com for details on how you will be able to purchase this figure. Um, SideFest Northwest 2023 is shaping up to be the best ever, so be sure and pre-register now so you don't miss out. We look forward to seeing all of you um, in July, and I do want to remind you that dealer and attendance, uh, dealer and attendee registration for SideFest Northwest 2023 is now live. You can go to the website SideFestNW.com to pre-register for the show as a dealer or attendee. Um, there's still a few dealer tables left. Uh, we have not sold out yet, but we're really close. So don't miss out if you want to be a dealer. And of course, don't miss your opportunity to uh, pre-register as an attendee. The advantage of pre-registering is that it grants attendees entry to the show an hour early. Um, it also um, gives you the opportunity uh, for the opportunity to get generation zero wheelless jack uh you have to be pre-registered uh, for that but again more more details um at the website uh registration will be open for dealers and attendees from now through june 24th after that anyone who wishes to attend will have to come as general admission and you have to get in at 11 an hour after all the wheelless jacks are all gone but stick around for uh, Sabfest because there's going to be a lot of cool activities and panels and whatnot, and we have a a huge huge announcement that we will be making soon. Um, I think contracts are being signed, um, so it's it's really feeling like it's going to happen, but it is too soon for me to announce it here. Uh, but stay tuned uh, to Mike Seibert Radio for. Um, for that exciting announcement when it does happen and it will happen soon and with that that will wrap things up for this episode thank you so much for listening and for hanging out with me if you want to listen to mike cyber radio you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, stitcher google Podcasts, spotify tune in or wherever the heck else you listen to your podcast like share rate and review the show let us know what you like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future 
My name is Mike. This has been Mike Seibert Radio. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and make good choices. Mike Seibert Radio is recorded in Seattle, Washington. Special thanks to Andy Lita for our logos and graphic design. He's at GoGoAndyRobo on Twitter. Become a Mike Cybertronian and join the MSRP Friends and Fans Facebook group. And you can follow me on social media at Mike Seibert Radio on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And check out my YouTube channel for even more videos and subscribe so you never miss a show. Want to be a guest on the show? Send me an email, MikeCybertRadio at gmail.com.